with calls to give 15% of retailers like Target and others shelf space to Black-owned brands, is that really realistic? Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail, the podcast of The Retail Doctor, and I'm your host, Bob Fibbs. In this episode, I'm talking to Deanna McIntosh. She's in charge of global retail and e-commerce with the Affinity Group International. Well, thanks for joining me here on Tell Me Something Good About Retail. We have a bonus uh, podcast guest today. When I had uh, finished recording this season, I had suddenly uh, realized that times had changed a lot, and not just because of COVID, but certainly because of protests and demonstrations. And most importantly, we have all realized that something has changed. And so I am pleased today to be able to welcome Deanna McIntosh. She is Global Retail and E-Commerce Consultant with the Affinity Group. Good morning, Deanna. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much. So uh, I always have to start off. Tell me uh, about yourself. Uh, You know, you started in retail like uh, most of us. So take me into your world and bring our listeners up to speed. All right. I fell in love with retail fashion starting in middle school, (laughs) where my mom used to dress me head to toe in all one color, and you know my crayons had to match my outfit. Okay, so I think that's where it started, and I ended up going to the Fashion Institute of Technology (FIT) in New York City. So my degree is in International Fashion Merchandising Management, which is a mouthful. So yeah, I've been loving this fashion world for a long time. And after school, I went to Chico's as a assistant buyer and did that for a few years. And then I was promoted to associate merchant when I was uh, in charge of woven tops. And after that, I was in charge of their, their uh, TV ads, print ads, and catalogs, and just bringing together those from start to finish. And wow, that's quite a varied, yeah. uh, <laughs> a varied background, right? Yeah. So I got a really, uh, let's see, well-rounded view of the fashion industry from the beginning of my career. And so after Chico's, I went to a different retailer, Office Depot, and did strategy for them. And I often found myself in project-based roles. I come in as a buyer, and then they would see something more in me and either create a role for me or put me into a role that manages multiple projects at a time, which I thought was interesting. Good, right? Good and bad. (laughs) You're becoming indispensable to a company. That's always good. That is true. It's uh, only an issue when you go to look for another job (laughs) in buying or merchandising. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, wait, so you're, you weren't a buyer. What were you? (laughs) So yes, note to recruiters. <laughs> I was well-rounded. Right? <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> I like that. While I was at Office Depot, I launched my company, which is the Affinity Group International. And I launched it because I saw the small business community had a lot of questions and they weren't really sure how to run their retail or e-commerce businesses the way I knew. Right. And you wouldn't. If you don't work in a retail headquarters, you're not going to know those same strategies. Oddly enough, people don't wake up when they're in seventh (laughs) grade and say, you know, I'm going to learn how to become a retailer. And everyone says, oh, great. We'll support you. It's like, no, get get a real job. Do a real career. Right. So, And that's the problem that so many 
uh, people, it's like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm no different, Deanna. My mm -hmm. part-time job became my career. Oh, wow. I mean, I went to college yeah. for, for become a conductor and then I got my minor in music ed. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really the story of retail. So the fact that mm -hmm. you also see the same thing that, mm -hmm. you know, most of these people who have one or two locations didn't get into this game with a playbook. Right. Exactly. And so that's when I made the decision that I want to help small to medium-sized businesses compete on the same level as these bigger companies. And so that's why I founded the Affinity Group International, and we do consulting for retailers and brands. But even more so now with coronavirus, that impact, and now the Black Lives Matter movement, and just seeing the changes that are happening, I want to become more of a strategic partner on behalf of these businesses. And by that, I mean going to trade show owners and saying, hey, what's your representation of small and indie brands here? And how can we grow that? Or what's your representation of people of color, brands of color? How do we improve that? And that's the turn that I'm going to take and talk about today. Well, that's great. And it's like, look, the world is changing yeah. and we can embrace this and say, oh, my gosh, we can make the world a better place mm -hmm. or we could try to hold on to it and kind of like try to pull the caboose back because the train is going. I mean, we have never seen demonstrations around the world yeah. about something that happened in America. It's usually the other way around, which to me yeah. says, oh my gosh, this is a great opportunity of hope. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. It's refreshing. And of course, you still get the really negative comments, which are disheartening at times, but I think it's better to just focus on the positive and how we can move forward. Yeah, I would agree. Now, uh, you know, again, um, What's been your experience in retail? You know, I was thinking about this this morning. Mm -hmm. Was it was it 10 years ago that Oprah had gone into a Parisian mm -hmm. uh, oh, boutique and yeah. wanted to get something like a designer purse yes. and the woman wouldn't take it down because she wasn't in, you know, mm -hmm. she wasn't all Oprahed up like she was going to be on camera. Yes. And the woman kept, you know, saying like, oh, well, you know, we do that for everyone. And I, it just rang so hollow and yet nothing changed after that. No, that's so true. So it what's was. your experience been in retail as a person of color? Mm -hmm. It's been interesting. And I've had many same experiences as Oprah did. <laughs> and I'm clearly not Oprah. But <laughs> I mean, today it happens. If I go into a Bloomingdale's, or a Saks, any of those luxury type places, I definitely get looked at a certain way. And it depends too on how I'm dressed. You know, if I'm dressed down, definitely get those looks. And if I'm dressed, I guess, more professional or um, business casual, I get the looks, but then they might actually say hello. Yeah, well, you know what? As the retail doc, I definitely do go out and I think about how I'm dressed only because yes. of, of that. But so you're consciously thinking when you go into a store, you realize like, you know, you're taking a risk by not dressing a certain way. Is that correct? That's definitely correct. And I make it a point now that when I walk inside of a retail store, if no one speaks to me, if I go from the front to the back and not one person speaks, looks even in my direction, I'm not buying. Like I am turning around and I'm walking out. I don't care who you are. <laughs> So, you know, it's it's discouraging, and especially because I know retail, right? 
There's a social contract that I have enjoyed because of who I am. And that's why I was hoping mm -hmm. you could just let us in on this world because yes. the point is for me to shut up and to listen. Okay. Well, I will start with the fact that, so I worked in Chico's in high school and I was 15 and 16 when I worked in Chico's. And you know, the customer is a much, much, much older, um, typically a white woman in her 50s, 60s, but I loved it. And I love the customers. So it wasn't even, I mean, I didn't even look at it that way. I just love working there. And when I graduated from school, because I worked in the stores, I was able to send in my resume and get the job as the assistant buyer. When I got to headquarters, I was one black buyer out of, actually there was two when I first started. There were two of us out of maybe 35 buyers. Mind you, again, I've just got out of college. I can't remember how long I had been working there. It might have been six months, but there was no body trying to help me and try to teach me what it's like to work in corporate. It's different. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, it's very different and what they expect from me and things like that. But it seemed like my peers, who obviously were not black, were getting that mentorship and that training and that hands-on attention. And I was just set to fail. So do you think that was a bias mm -hmm. by your boss or was that? Um, yeah. It's always, because to me, people quit, people quit people. We don't quit yes. companies, right? Totally, totally. I do think, yes. In that instance, I do think it was bias from my boss and her boss. Because as a leader, you don't, you shouldn't want your people to fail. Right. no matter what they look like. So you would want to invest back in them because it makes you look good when I perform, right? So I didn't understand that. But part. see, it's a delicate thing because I'm mm -hmm. sure there's going to be some people on here that say, well, you know, she wasn't performing. Mm -hmm. So what difference does the color make? Well, mm -hmm. that's right. As a white person, that would be something I would say, except yeah. when you see the disparity between what your peers received, the attention you got from, from your boss and mm -hmm. they got. Isn't that what we're talking right. about here? Exactly. That's the difference. And if you want to really look at diversity, if I'm only one or two a per persons of color or a black person, you just might want to try to cultivate an environment where I might feel safe and comfortable if that is what your company stands for. And that's what I always say is like, if that's not what you stand for, okay, then don't, you shouldn't have hired me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? If you really don't feel diversity is your thing, whatever you want to call it, whatever your stance is, if you are just firmly against it, don't hire someone as a quote unquote token person yeah. just to say that you have diversity because that's not enough. Well, you know, one woman commented on a post of mine and said, uh, oh, well, affirmative action never works. And it's like, we're not talking affirmative action. No. You know, it's like, oh, well, the best person doesn't get hired. It's like, that's not really what we're saying in the slightest. Right. Right. Absolutely. So what are you saying? So I don't well, <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> I'm saying that, you know, yes, it's funny because everyone always said, I don't look at color. And I think that's the biggest shift that's happened is, yes, I get the, I get what, what you mean, what you're trying to say by saying, I don't see color. I see everyone is equal. Everyone's a human. You might not see color but the rest of the world does and mm. it affects people differently. 
So yeah. yes, yeah, you know, like yeah. that's no, the difference. It was like uh, today uh, is uh, June 10th and uh, they HBO has pulled Gone with the Wind because mm. they don't want it on their streaming service, even though it's one of the we consider it as one of the great, you know, as white people it's like, oh, that's a great film. You know, it's got mm -hmm. all these great characters and music and sets. It's like, but when you look at it in 2020, you're like, oh my mm -hmm. God, what would it have felt like to be watching this for the last 50 years? Right. And realizing like, Oh, that's the image. And here's where I want white people to about, you know, bias is created by what we were exposed to. My history books, what wasn't said, who wasn't shown to us, whose stories didn't matter. And all those moments where you look at the TV shows we watched and you look at the albums we listened to or a million posters on the wall, uh, there's so many clues that have defined our bias. And it, it's not like white people are the only people. We all have mm -hmm. biases of who sure. we like and don't like. But we just have to open our eyes and say, maybe somebody else has a different experience than I do, right? Very true. And really it goes to show. So the victory story and <laughs> that story I just told you, which was just brutal for me. Uh, it really shut me down in a lot of ways because I would try to speak up at meetings and I would get shut down immediately, like in a big way in front of everyone, every time I tried to say something. And so it kind of created this kind of a little fear to yeah. be honest, to say anything. And so they moved me to a different team with a woman who I love, who's who's a white woman. And they said they moved me to her team because she's great, a great trainer. She's great at, you know, training people and getting them on the right track. So I said, okay, sure. So they moved me to her team. She was amazing. And her name is Abby Shearer. I'm going to say her name because I love her and I thank her. Good for you. But, um... I went to Abby's team and Abby trained me. Abby showed me what to do. And I got promoted <laughs> wow. under her. And um, the crazy thing is, though, I was not taken off probation. I was kept on probation for 90 days, no longer than 90 days. And then they lifted the, the um, probation part where it was because of performance. And then they left me on because they said that I didn't speak enough. Literally. Wow. I was on probation because I didn't speak enough. But yet when I try to speak, nobody wants to hear anything I have to say. So they just left me there with this probation looming over my head, not knowing any day if I could just be let go. And so it just didn't make sense. And from there, like I said, I was promoted, ended up launching a collection that drove a million dollar increase over the previous wow. year. So then I went back to them and I said, so was it me or was it the lack of training here? Wow. <laughs> like, nobody wanted to answer that question. I love that bold. I love that direction. Uh, directness. Know. Know. <laughs> they didn't answer as always, but you know, and there's many more stories where that came from uh, one in one in particular that I have to share is so Abby went off to another team. She got promoted and because she was amazing, obviously. And so they brought someone in over me to run the department that I was in. And she was also a white woman and probably 23 at the time, just to put it into perspective. And this woman was probably in her upper 40s. 
but I was running the department by myself and doing great sales, getting increases month after month. So it was running flawlessly. She came in and as a buyer, she didn't know how to use Excel. (laughs) Uh, Right. (laughs) She didn't know how to use Outlook. She literally didn't know how to do her job. And I was just very confused. And my job was to train her. Funny how that works, right? (laughs) But my job was to train her, which I had no problem doing. And I did. However, then it started to show that she didn't know what she was doing. And she would project it out on me. And one day she comes into my cubicle. She cornered, puts her hands up in my cubicles, blocking my entrance, my way in and out and starts reaming me. I don't even remember why. Yelling at me at the top of her lungs so badly that people on the other side of the building could hear her. And so it was just like that type of an, envi- an environment for me. And it was crazy. Yeah. And um, but nobody was on my side. Do you know that they actually put me back on probation from that? Because they said I wasn't helping her do her job correctly. Wow. <laughs> like you would never believe these type of things. But it was just the worst time ever. And then a couple of days later, she was walked out. Wow. And then I was taken off probation. <laughs> With no, like, I'm sorry, we, we didn't listen to you or anything. Like, we should not have treated you this way. Nothing. But see, it's easy it. for people listening to go, well, that was just uh, a bad person. And it's like, but that's what we've been telling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. I right. Think- True. It's convenient to say right. that, that, you know, oh, there's another side. The problem is we aren't really listening for the your story, which is what would that have felt like to be one of two black people mm-hmm. in a pad of 35 and this happens and it feels like this and yet there's no uh, recourse, there's no, uh, right. well, no support, right? This season is sponsored by Springboard Retail POS. You know, one of the biggest challenges I hear from listeners, and whether they're selling from a store, from trunk shows, pop-ups, or just online, is that they want great, easy-to-use data. On top of that, they want customizable reporting. Well, that's where Springboard Retail comes in. Their best-in-class reporting helps you run a best-in-class retail operation. Higher sales, higher margins, and faster sell-through. Springboard Retail's customer success team will help you get all of your historical data into Springboard and get you up and running in a flash with a one-on-one personalized onboarding experience that's run by actual humans. And now it's even easier for you listeners to supercharge your business with Springboard Retail POS. Just visit springboardretail.com forward slash retail doc and you'll receive 20% off your first year. Now back to the show. When you hear people talking about diversity mm-hmm. or or finding ways to kind of, um, I don't know if it's fix is the right word, but yes. um, come to a new place, um, it's there's a certain amount of education that has to go on as mm-hmm. well as uh, structural change. Would you agree? And what I would that be, agree. do you think? I definitely agree. There has to be, well, one... If a community is not, they don't have, like, we don't have as many resources for whatever reasons. 
and it's systemic reasons. So it's not just as simple as people think. I think that's the biggest thing is it's not simple and surface level. It's not like, well, she should have gone back to college to get more education, to learn how to do her job. It's not that simple. If you could put it into, is it, is it like, you know, theoretically we like to believe, well, I, I like to believe that I treat everybody the same. Yes. And in a perfect world that happens, mm-hmm. but it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. But I think personalizing it is the key for all of us that it's, you know, it's not some guy, it's this woman that I, it's Deanna, I heard her story, or mm-hmm. this is what's going on. And, and trying to, I guess, make us a, a safe place for you to be able to tell those stories yes. so that we, you can say, and from what I've learned, what, what would need to happen? You just have to look at your organization and make sure that you have people in place who look like the people like me. You have all these people who can bring those experiences. Well, that's the key to all of it. That yeah, it's, it's uh, we're right now we're talking about Black Lives Matter, but Hispanic, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Asian, uh, Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is a matter of saying let's build a team that represents right. our community, right. not just say, oh, well, the most uh, qualified uh, mm-hmm. person got the job. And you know, there's a new um, initiative right now. It's the fifteen percent. Can you explain that yeah. for our audience? Yes. The 15% pledge is a pledge that was started by a Black-owned brand, and they want major retailers to pledge 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned brands. And they specifically called on Target, Sephora, ShopBob. There are three of them. I think Whole Foods was another so they want them to publicly say that they'll get 15% of their space to black owned businesses. That's what that's about. Is that bad? Is that good? On the surface, it sounds great. It does. Well, it sounds like a step. I mean, black owned business, it sounds like a step. Right. It does sound like a step, but this is where, because I now have that experience in retail and at Office Depot, for example, bringing in all of those small brands into their stores, I know that it's difficult and it's not as easy as Target or whoever saying tomorrow, yes, I'm pledging 15% of my space to black owned businesses. And then they just show up in their warehouses the next day. It's not how that works. (laughs) So it's, it's a great, it's definitely a great step in the right direction. And how would you merchandise it? I mean, Deanna, would you, um, this just sounds, I'm an ops guy debate, you know, it's like, <laughs> so is there going to be a banner on the website that says that? Is it going to exactly. be, is it going to have a, a star by it? So that, mm-hmm. cons- I mean, there's, I know the devil's in the details, right? It is. And target we can talk about is a great example of what they're trying to say, which is if you go to target beauty section, if you've never seen it, one is beautiful, but there's a section for women of color And I have natural hair, so I've never had any chemicals in my hair for the last 11 years. And if I went to Target before the section existed, the only products that applied to me were a little tiny section Mm. hidden somewhere. Uh So I couldn't even shop at Target for my hair. And now there's an entire section and it even has images of the women who started these brands. 
So showing, you know, okay. yes, we support the black community. We want you to shop here. So we have products for you specifically. And no, I don't think that every single brand needs to be that literal. I think that they just want to see that we are supported and we're represented because we spend a lot of money with all these brands. So we want to see ourselves represented in the products that they sell. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I remember, I'm really dating myself. I'm much older than you. But uh, in the 80s, when I worked at South Coast Plaza and Sears was the flagship there in uh, Costa Mesa, California, and their beauty had uh, been redone and they must have had a dozen pictures over the counters of of, of a wide variety of, of women. Mm-hmm. All beautiful, all, you know, like glamour. I wouldn't say glamour shots like in a cheesy way, but I mean, professionally done. Yes. And the press release was it was all women who worked there at Sears. Mm-hmm. And that's great, except it was a marketing campaign. You know what I mean? It didn't connect right. to... And that's what we're struggling with right now is saying, and how do we take that the next level that it's not a marketing campaign? It's actually on the shelf and it makes sense to us. So I I really appreciate you calling out Target so that Mm -hmm. oddly enough, I don't go into the women's uh, hair care (laughs) products at Target, but now I may have to do that. Just see what they're doing because it's got to be subtle, but it's got to be meaningful that you, Mm -hmm. you, you get it right. That you can go like, that's for me. Right. And Are there other ways that retailers can do that? Yes. And Target is one of the people that this 15% pledge is going after. And from my perspective, I think there are much bigger fishes to fry than Target. Because like I said, <laughs> they have an entire section. And I live mm. in Atlanta, which can be called the Black Hollywood. And every single thing that Essence Magazine does in essence, is the magazine devoted to women of color, right. black women, actually. And when Essence has an event, it is sponsored by Target. Target is there. They're supporting the brands. They did a holiday market here in Atlanta with Essence again. And it was just beautiful, so well curated. And so from my perspective, I'm like, Target is the leader in what they're talking about. And that's another thing. It's like yeah. a lot of these brands have reached out to the larger companies and somehow find found a buyer's email, but they're not responding to them. So they can't even, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, there's, there's barriers and it's not just for black brands, any brand there's barriers, but the small brands, who do they go to? They have to find a you, someone like you or someone like me, but it's well, just difficult. Yeah. And, and, and I would always say, you know, people always think like, Oh, it'd be great if we got into target. No, it wouldn't because <laughs> quite simply, you know, when they hand you an order of here's a bazillion we need by tomorrow, right? you go and have to make them. You didn't even walk. You're suddenly on a moonwalk. You're, you're not even mm-hmm. in the same league. Right. And while you can boast your way through it, it's really would be better that you could just call on five, you know, local retailers, mm-hmm. get them in, involved in your story, yeah. see how your product uh, works. And then you've got some legs to be able to go the next. It's no different than me. I mean, my first speeches were probably for 20 or 30 people. I didn't say, oh, well, I'm going to be in front of 5,000 people first. It's <laughs> like, dude, you don't want to do that because you'll right. embarrass yourself and, and you won't work again. And go out of business. Right. And that's the thing. <laughs> what would be some ways that you think uh, that retailers could open up a dialogue uh, between their employees because it's um 
-hmm. In a lot of ways, we're also just talking about systemic uh, power, right? That there's a a man or woman at the top and then everybody else kind of, you know, either is included in the game or they're all playing a a little tiny part of it. So any any ideas, Deanna? Yes, I think having regular discussions with your team is so important and not just about the business, but about personal things like mental health, (laughs) work-life balance, culture. What does that mean? And if your team, a prime example is uh, someone I know said they worked at a multi-billion dollar retailer and they had a diversity and inclusion team full of all white people. And it's like, well, then of course it didn't work. <laughs> you hear that and you're just like, did anyone not see that? that? Like, <laughs> Right. That's not the answer. But I think, like I said, you know, being open to having hard conversations, like the one that we're having right now, mm. which I greatly appreciate. You know, it's a hard conversation to have. It's not comfortable. But when you think about life, there's a now that people are exposed a bit more to the black experience in America. Nothing's ever comfortable for us. Right. Well, change so doesn't happen. Us. Right. I mean, right. Our path to equal inclusion of everybody is filled with blood and horrible, mm-hmm. horrible things from people not wanting to change. It is. It's so true. And and that's why through all of this, I started, I have a website and it's called diversifyretail.com. And because with the 15% pledge, again, it's a great thought. It's a great movement. 15% of their assortment should be Black-owned business. But when we take a couple steps back from this, there's other communities of color who also need representation. So, you know, like you said, the Asian communities, Latin communities. So maybe that's not, that's a great start, but maybe it's instead of 15% is going to Black-owned businesses, maybe it's 35% of your assortment is going to be from brands of color. Well, and also checking their mission statement. Are you, are you working for the same things? True. (laughs) Because I think the days we make stuff and we try to make, make money from it are probably over. I mean, you're, you're going to have to have something other than, uh, you know, we, we exist to make a profit. I think, uh, certainly millennials and Gen Z. I think that's the other thing is that, you know, younger people are protesting because they're like, why haven't you done this? You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, my nephew got his PhD at uh, UC Irvine and the valedictorian, uh, this young man stood up and he said, you know, your generation pollution was just like, yeah, well, you know what happens? We just dump stuff in the environment. He goes, my generation, like you didn't finish the equation. Why did you, why was that permissible? And mm-hmm. I think that's why at this time in history, I think enough people are saying, why has this been permissible? And I'm committed to change something. And I appreciate you being on with me, Deanna. I know it's not the easiest conversation to have, but uh, quite simply, this is the conversations I want everybody to be having. We've got a lot of work to do. I want people to see people of color in my Instagram feed, for example, you know, because when I walk into a space and I see no one that looks like me, I'm turning around. So is that your intention? Right. I retailers would say that's not. Right. So change it. Right. Because that's not welcoming. So this website is just an initiative on my part. So I can give people ideas on how to change, but also work with me for actionable strategies. So even as a boutique, a local boutique, 
if you want to carry brands made by people of color, come to me and I have brands that I can match with your aesthetic and the price point that you're looking for, right? I have that corporate experience, so I understand what you need, whether you're a local boutique or a corporation. So I think there's things in the middle. Target has an incubator program. Other retailers, that's a first step. Start an incubator program so that when you find these great brands that have potential, you're now helping them to get there. That's that's the bridge. And that's what that my website is, is trying to be a bridge between what where we want to be and where we are now. Fabulous. Well, that's gives us a great place to pause at the end. You'll be able to find all the links to Deanna and uh, the diversifyretail.com so she can follow up more. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today, Deanna. Thank you so much for joining us. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to my guest, Deanna McIntosh. I enjoyed speaking about diversity and how Target has changed and actually shown Black-owned businesses in-store as a model of a way forward for other retailers. You know, we are all different, but as I like to say, we are all more alike than different. Confronting bias and prejudice is something we all need to commit to. It's not somebody else's job, it's ours. Well, that's it for the fourth season. I hope you've enjoyed my conversations as we build hope for the retail industry. You know, COVID-19 may have battered us, but I'll be back ready to go in a few months. If you'd like to be on the podcast, just email me a note, bob at retaildoc.com. And if you like this season, I'd appreciate a positive review on Apple or your favorite network. I'm Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. Thanks again for listening. Tell me something good about retail is the podcast of the Retail Doctor. Visit retaildoc.com to learn what makes Bob Fibbs the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest brands all the way down to the smallest mom and pops. As a listener of the Tell Me Something Good About Retail podcast, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. For more information, to access the complete archives of past retail goodness, and to see about Bob speaking to your audience, please visit retaildoc.com.